Uh, so open your Bibles now, if you will, to Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9. We will be in verse 19 is where we'll pick up. Uh, so if you'll remember from last week, uh, we saw where uh, Saul had been blinded and uh, his, the scales were removed from his eyes. And so that's where we are in the story uh, where uh, Jesus had revealed himself to Saul. And we believe that Saul had become a follower of Jesus. Uh, he had moved from death to life. And so that's where we are in our story of Acts. If you're new to Refuge, expository preaching is a really big deal for us. We preach verse by verse through the text, through the scriptures, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9 today. And so uh, we, we don't skip over the hard stuff. We don't skip over the difficult stuff, uh, the stuff that makes us squirm a little bit. Uh, and so you'll get a regular dose of verse by verse preaching here uh, at Refuge. And so this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. And so we'll pick up there and read together. For some days he, Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Sounds like veggie tales. <laughs> Is he coming to bound us before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, by proving that, he, that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Not a shocker. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates by day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was the disciple. But Barnabas, hey, there's Barnabas again, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and uh, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were, they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Man, that's some good stuff. A lot of good stuff to get into today, so hang on today. So uh, 19b um, says that he was hanging with the disciples at Damascus. And so it says immediately, back in verse 18, if you're a writer in your Bible, underline the word immediately in verse 18, because suddenly things are happening kind of quickly as, as things are transpiring like this. And then you get to verse 20, and it says immediately again. And so we're going to underline immediately in our text today. So you underline that in your Bible as I'm underlining it on your screen. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus. So that's what, he, that's what he was about all there. He was like, he wasn't immediately going and meeting all the people, or he wasn't immediately going and, and finding his way through the town. He was immediately proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And so this was his message. 
He's like, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is who he claimed to be. And I, Saul, am the one telling you this. And if you ought to believe anybody at this point, you ought to believe me. And so, uh, again, the immediacy of his message is the big thing here. And so let's move on past that and talk about the word immediately. What does the word immediately mean? Well, here's some definitions that you could use. At once or instantly, he proclaimed Jesus. Without intervening time or space, he didn't put anything in between it. There was nothing else he was talking about. He wasn't wasting any time. The third one says, without lapse of time, without delay, or instantly, or at once, he was proclaiming Jesus. So you can put all these words in there about him proclaiming Jesus, and he, we can see that he wasn't wasting any of his time. He knew he didn't have any time to waste in his life. He didn't want to waste any breaths on anything else. He just wanted to talk about Jesus. How does that hit you, Refuge? Good stuff, right? I mean, that, that's a good thing. And so the question has to be for you and me then, if we read this in the text about someone who has just come to know Jesus, who is so vehemently opposed to Jesus for so long, does this text align with how you respond to Jesus and the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And that's something we've all got to figure out, right? Does this text where we see immediately, immediately, immediately he was responding and telling people about Jesus, does that respond to you, Christian, about how you respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Do we respond immediately? Do you respond immediately. And even more so, again, his message was he was proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, in the synagogues, in the synagogue, <laughs> that place too, in the synagogues, which was a place that was familiar to him. He didn't go to some place where he's like, you know, nobody knows me here. And so when I talk in these unfamiliar places, nobody's going to make fun of me or nobody's going to go, oh, I don't know about that. He went to the synagogue where he spent his time, where people knew him, where people knew about him, where people knew about his history, where people knew about the things that he had done. He went there to proclaim Jesus. Students, it'd be like going to school. It'd be like, well, you know, I don't really want to talk about Jesus at school I could talk about Jesus at the coffee shop, or I could talk about Jesus somewhere else, but not in my school, pastor. That's, that's, what this, that's, what, that's the context in which he did these things. He went back to his place and proclaimed Jesus. So if you're not proclaiming Jesus in the same way that Saul was doing, we have to ask our question, ourselves, you have to ask yourself, why not? I mean, why not? Saul knew the value of the Saul had, had encountered the resurrected Jesus. He had been born again like many of you claim to be, like many of us claim to be. And so he wanted other people to know about Jesus. He wanted other people to know that this Jesus was alive. He wanted other people to encounter this resurrected Jesus and the life change that it brings, which is what we say that we want, right? So why would we not say those same things to the people that we're most familiar with? If you're not, are you quenching the Holy Spirit 
When the Spirit prompts you to say something that you, to people that you love or people that you know or people that are in your circles, are you quenching the Holy Spirit when you're, delay, when you're delaying? What is preventing you from obeying your King? Questions that each of us must answer. You're being, we're all being confronted by this in this text today, the immediacy in which uh, Saul was going and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so you have to stop and ask yourself why or why not. I would encourage you to make a mental note of whatever it is that the Spirit's revealing to you. And if you need to repent for that very sin of not following the Holy Spirit, then repent of that. Look, you don't have to live in shame over that. This is not a shaming thing. This is just one of those revealing things where the Holy Spirit is revealing to all of us that we go, man, I I encounter lots of people that I know and lots of people that I love and lots of people that I want to know Jesus and lots of people that I want to see in heaven with me and lots of people that I don't want to go, that I want them to, 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 to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord one day. Why would I not? I I, want to repent for those things and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to help me to begin to declare Jesus to those that I know and love. And so what was he proclaiming? What was Saul proclaiming? What is it they were asking you to proclaim? Well, he was proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He was refuting those questions that the religious leaders had and questioning him through, that they were questioning people throughout his ministry. Here was Saul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He even said that about himself later in some of the other texts that we'll read uh, down the road, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so now the former persecutor of those who followed Jesus was now proclaiming Jesus to those who he used to persecute. Those who were the object of his persecution. He is declaring Jesus to them. He is saying that Jesus is the Son of God. The writer of Hebrews shares that um, Jesus was the same person that that Saul was declaring. The Son of God. Uh, Saul declared this. The writer of Hebrews declared this. You can turn if you want to or just make a note that Hebrews 1, uh, this is what it says. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the writer of Hebrews said, he spoke about the prophets, so he's talking about the Older Testament. He said, and now in these days, he's spoken to us through his son. We have seen Jesus. We have seen this fulfillment. And he has spoken to, God is speaking to us through his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, the, the, the rightful owner of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the text, the writer of Hebrews says that God created the world through his son. See what he's doing there? Verse three, he is the Uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that. The whole world, the whole universe that exists and spins, and and the round planets, not the flat ones, uh, the round planets that that we see and know. I know you crazies. the, the, The planets that all hold together, he is holding that together by the power of his word. We don't get closer to the sun so we fry and we don't get further from the sun so we freeze because Jesus says, hey earth, you stay right there. Don't get out of alignment. Don't get too close to the sun. 
Don't get too far away from the sun. And Jesus holds all that together, plus everything else together by the power of his word. After making purification for sins, so after he has made a way for us to be purified, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are purified from our sins. He says, after making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And so what name is this? It's the King of Kings. It's the Lord of Lords, the Son of God that Saul declared in the synagogue. This is who Saul was talking about. The one that the writer of Hebrews just talked about. That's who he's declaring to people in the synagogues. And so let's look back to the big challenge to Jesus being the Son of God in other places that uh, it was said, if you are the Son of God. So he's saying, uh, uh, Saul's coming out and saying, hey, I am the Son of God. And so you can make a note of this place too, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. And I was going to read it, but just for the sake of time and because we got a lot to cover today, I'm not going to go read it. But this is about Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. If you go back and, and Jesus was beginning his ministry and, and he met Satan in the wilderness and, and uh, uh, Satan was telling, tempting him into all these things. I'll give you all this stuff if you will just, you know, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus was like, don't you tempt the son of God, bro. Uh, don't, he said, you, 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 don't, you don't tempt the son of God. If, and Satan would say, if you are the son of God, hey, uh, jump down and all these angels will catch you, bro. And he was like, don't tempt me like that. Don't come at me like that. We find the same thing in religious leaders, Matthew chapter 27, whenever Jesus is hanging on the cross, they were saying, hey, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross if you can. They were, saying, they were mocking him by calling him because he declared that he was the son of God. And they were mocking him and saying, hey, if you really are, the son of God could take himself down off the cross if you wanted to. They were mocking him even in his crucifixion. And even one of the thieves on the cross is like, hey, if you are the son of God, save yourself and us. And so all through Jesus' ministry, they were mocking him, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, our enemy Satan. And so here, one of his major opponents, Saul, who had come to know Jesus, had moved from death to life, who was now a follower of Jesus, declared, yes, he is the Son of God. The capstone of Saul's experience was to now declare that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death and hell and, and, and the grave, and he is the Son of God, the God, the Son. And so I want us to land on that. Say that with me. Jesus is the Son of God. Say that with me. Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, let's keep going. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed. So they amazed that Saul was saying this. They're like, what? Saul? You've got to be kidding me. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? And so it seemed inconceivable that Saul was the person saying this about Jesus. And so the great persecutor had become the great proclaimer. He once persecuted the church, now he proclaimed the good news about the gospel. The great force that was against Jesus had now become the great follower of Jesus. And the great unbeliever in Jesus had now become a believer. Incredible transformation. 
And listen, some of you need to hear this. There is no one too good that they don't need Jesus. Some of you may walk in here and go, preacher, I'm not that bad. Man, I haven't done that much stuff. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I go to refuge one and a half times a month. Uh, I give if the plate comes by me. Uh, I am helping my mom and I'm cleaning up my room when she tells me for the sixth time. I mean, I'm doing these things, bro. You don't even know. I, I'm pretty good. There is no one too good that you don't need Jesus. Okay, I'll start there. And then on the other side of that, there's no one too bad that you, Jesus can't save you. That's the camp I was in. We were just at Mississippi State yesterday. Uh, we were there for the game, uh, for the win in overtime, by the way. Uh, and we roll in about 1 o'clock this morning. And so um, well, while I was there, we met some people that were in my fraternity, and I hadn't seen them in years. And so we go by their tailgate yesterday, Carol and I did, and and so we got to see them, and it always comes up when I see people from college. They're like, Benj, bro, you're a preacher. I'm like, I know, bro. Who would have thunk it, you know? And so Carol got to experience that a little bit yesterday of people that were in my fraternity and in my circles way back in the day, and they're like, this is like the crazy thing. And I'm like, I know, man. And so I'm one of these dudes that I'm telling you about. And so you, there's nobody so bad that you can't be redeemed by the love of Jesus. That goes for me, and that goes for you. And so if you're here thinking that, you're like, you're bro, I don't, you don't even know what I did. I'm telling you, I probably do. <laughs> and probably did it. And Jesus saved a wretch like me. And Jesus will save a wretch like you. None of us are too bad that Jesus can't save us. Amen? Yes. Amen. Yes. Let's keep going. And, and so these people couldn't believe it, though. They were like, I don't know. But they were watching. They were seeing what was Verse 22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And so the best proof that you can give anybody that Jesus is really is alive and Jesus does make a difference is a transformed life. Okay? Is that when people know you from college and suddenly they know you a preacher, uh, that's, a, that's an evidence of a transformed life. And I ain't trying to point me. I'm just saying good Lord, he can do some stuff. And he'll do that for you. But the evidence of a transformed life, and I'm talking about evidence. I'm not saying just lip service to a transformed life. I'm talking about evidence of a transformed life. That when people look at you, they go, that person's different. I don't know what the deal is, but something's different about that person. Because, and you get a chance to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. I'm telling you because he's the one that changed me. Without him, I would still be this cat. Okay? The evidence of a transformed life. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, the evidence of a transformed life is a, a great evidence. That, and that's the same for you, the same for me, the same for anybody. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the deliverer. And so that was one of those things that the people, the Jewish people thought about, that our Messiah is going to be this deliverer. And so their thoughts were, he's going to deliver us from this Roman oppression, and he's going to deliver us out from them, and he's going to you know, take us out of this land, kind of like Moses did back in the day. But that wasn't what Jesus was coming for. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Those who are outside the house of faith. Look what it says in John chapter 6, verse 37 to 40. You can write that down. Don't turn there. You won't have time. Uh, John 6 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay? 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whew. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I, should not, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And look, I don't know what kind of religious traditions that you've been brought up in. Uh, we, we get lots of different people that come to refuge from all kind of backgrounds. Maybe it's no background at all. Maybe it's some other denominational background. Maybe you've been taught in your own home. Whatever the thing is, some, some uh, denominational backgrounds will tell you that you can lose your salvation, okay? That you can lose your salvation. That I can become a Christian and somewhere I can sin enough that I can lose my salvation. And I'm just going to tell you that's not a biblical thing. Did you hear what, what was just said in John? Jesus says... Uh, uh, whoever comes to me, I will never, say never, never cast out. Whenever you truly become a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking about like I was in high school and just, did, you know, I wanted to get uh, dunked so I didn't go to hell one day. And it was not about Jesus. It was about me escaping the flames. That's all it was. Because I grew up in the hellfire brimstone preaching. You know, who did with me? Anybody else with me? Yeah, I grew up in that. And so I just didn't want to go to hell. That's, I didn't care so much about Jesus. I just knew I didn't want to burn, okay? And so I didn't, I didn't care so much about having a relationship with Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell. That didn't sound too good to me. Uh, so I didn't become a Christian until I was 30. But once I encountered the, uh, the, the, the resurrected Jesus, I tell you, he changed my life. And I know, and I believe what the scripture says. The scripture says that he will hold me. He will hold me fast. He will never let me go. He will not, I, he will not lose me anywhere along the way. Then once I belong to him, then I belong to him and I will not lose my salvation. And he said at the end of this, I will raise him up on the last day. And so what did Jesus come to do? He came to offer us redemption, adoption, reconciliation, satis uh, a sanctification where he makes us more like Jesus. And one day he'll glorify us and make us as much like as we can possibly, holy as we can possibly be. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about them, uh, about what that looks like whenever we are in Jesus. It says this, in him, in Jesus, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Who wants their trespasses to be forgiven, their sins to be forgiven? Raise your hand. Yeah, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. Uh, uh, or you're just afraid to raise your hand in church, uh, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he sat forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of his time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. And so if you are in Christ, in Jesus, we have an inheritance coming. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. He's like, man, I'm telling you, Jesus is like, or, or Paul was writing and saying, listen, Jesus is all about bringing us into his fold and holding on to us and giving us a reward. Think about that. How crazy is that? That we who are sinful people, he comes and pursues us and rescues us and makes us alive and saves us and holds us fast and never lets us go and then gives us an inheritance. This is the deal, bros. You know what I'm saying? This is the deal. Why would you ever turn away from Jesus? Why would you not come to Jesus? 
So Paul says that. And so Jesus is the delivery, the deliverer from your enmity with God, which means you being an enemy of God. He is the deliverer from your, your enmity with God, your battle with God, your opposition to God. Jesus is your answer. And, 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 and uh, uh, Saul would go on to say, this is for Jews and this is for Gentiles. Uh, and so all this begs the question today, do you believe this? Do you believe these truths that I have just charismatically explained to you? Do you believe these truths enough that it has radically transformed your life? That's a better question. It's one thing to believe here, okay? It's another thing to believe here. Like with my being, I believe this. I hold fast to this. You believe this with all of who you are. Does this Jesus that you say you trust in make a difference in who you are today? Has being born again moved you from indifference to indescribable missionary on behalf of the king? Is gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation a regular part of your life so that others may know this king, so that others may know that they are part of this kingdom? Is that a regular part of your life? If not, you must, and I mean, you must examine yourself and go, has Jesus really changed me? Have I met the Jesus that radically changes people? Do I know the Jesus that, that radically changed Saul? Do I know this Jesus that has radically changed some people that we've seen over these fat last few months and years come to know Jesus and we see a different person in them? Do I know this same Jesus that has changed me this same way? Because Jesus does that. He empowers us to live differently. As we read through the scriptures, as you read through the scriptures, you can't help but look at the text and see he, Jesus causes people to live differently. And if your life is not a life that is lived differently, you have to look at it and go, man, does the Spirit of God actually live in me? Let's keep going. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates that day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And so verse 22 tells us that uh, Saul is in Damascus ministering the word, ministering the gospel. But the text is a little bit, it's not deceiving, but it's a little bit hard to understand uh, there because if you just kind of do this curs cursory reading of it, the text says, when many days had passed, and the truth is in this context of verses 23 to like 27, uh, many days ends up being like three years. Okay, so it's a bunch of days. Many days is more like a thousand days. And, and so he was ministering to people during this time when many days had passed, uh, the Jews plotted to kill him. So how, how would you know this? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Turn with me to Galatians really quick. Right, back to the left. Oh, sorry. That's Galatians. Sorry, to the right. That was another place I was going. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 1. Yeah, there we go. Galatians chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 15. So Paul laments in, in uh, chapter 1 about he had desired to go to his people, uh, the Jews, and preach the gospel to them, but was prohibited for some reason. And, and, the reasons we're ta- and, and they're the reasons that we're talking about here in Acts. Because people were after him, and they were chasing him. They wanted to put him in jail. That's why he was prohibited from going to his people during the time. And, and so we get to Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. This is what the text says. But when he who had set, set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So he, you, you've seen the text. He, he didn't consult with anybody about preaching the gospel. He just started preaching. He's like, I, I ain't got to ask nobody. I've been sent by the king. Uh, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God. I do not lie. Like, I ain't lying, bros. And, and then I went to the region of Syria and, and uh, Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They're like, they, they didn't believe I was, you know, they didn't believe I was a Christian. Uh, they uh, only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And so, all right, let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and so that, so that part of Galatians was really about uh, Paul being sent away that we're reading about here. And while he was sent away, he goes and starts preaching the gospel in other places and churches get birthed and the Holy Spirit comes down and churches get birthed even because he was going away because he was being persecuted. All right. And so I think it's really cool that we can read in Acts and suddenly we read some of these other books that we've read all our life and figure out, oh, this is where this came from. Oh, whenever he was sent away, he went to Galatia and he wrote this letter to the Galatians. How cool is that? Am I the only one? Anyone? Bueller? Okay. All right, so sometime during this period, the Jews wanted to do away with him. So we're back to our text in Acts uh, chapter 9. And so they turned on him whenever Saul turned to Jesus, okay? That may happen to you, young people. That may happen to you whenever you turn to Jesus like many of you have. Some of your friends may turn on you. Adults, that may happen to you whenever you turn to Jesus and you begin to follow Jesus radically the way we're called to follow Jesus. Some people may walk away from you. Some people may go, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You holy roller now. I mean, it may be like going to Mississippi State game. They go, Benz, you a preacher? What? I mean, they didn't run away from me, but they were amazed. You know, they were like, okay, this is crazy. I'm like, I know. Um, the scripture says that in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. Tri- sir, it's my word, tribulation. But take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. Okay? In this time, in this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble with people. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. It happened to Jesus' followers in the scriptures. And why would we, who are followers of Jesus today, not expect it to happen to us today? 
So verse 24 uh, in our text tells us that this plot was revealed. They were like, okay, we have figured out that they are wanting to kill uh, Saul during the time. And so he was let down in a basket because the gates were heavily guarded according to verse 24. And so the only other option to get out of the city would have been to Thelma and Louise it, you know, over the, over the edge or to be let down uh, uh, through this hole in a basket. And so they decided to go the basket option. Verse 26 says this, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Remember, remember what it said? Uh, uh, they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And so Saul had been absent for a minute, and, and so many of these people had heard of his conversion, and they were like, man, I, I've heard about this, but I don't know. They're like, wait, he's coming to our town now? Uh, th this makes me a little bit nervous, because I know what he was doing to our people along the way. Uh, but they hadn't seen any proof of his conversion. They'd only heard this story. And so their initial uh, reaction was valid. And so how would people know if Saul had really truly begun to follow Jesus? What do you, how, how would they have known that? Give me some reasons. Changed his life? Yeah. What else? Changed speech? Yeah, how he talked. What else? Yeah, known by their fruits, right? You would know him by his fruit. Anything else? How would they have known? Quit persecuting Christians, yeah. He talked about Jesus in a good way. How would people know if you're truly a follower of Jesus? Does your life line up with these answers that we just said? Because there's no reason for my life to be different than Saul's if I've been changed by the Spirit. No need for your life to be different than his. He was a dude just like we are. He's a regular person just like you are. There's no difference in him. He has to be filled with the Spirit to do the work that the Spirit calls us to be. You have to be filled with the Spirit to do the work that the Spirit calls you to do. And there's no reason for us to be any different than him. Because the same Jesus that saved him has saved you. The same spirit that filled him has filled you if you're a follower of Jesus. You tracking with me? So if Saul's life didn't align with what it looked like to be born again, then there's no way that they would say he is a person of the way. And if your life doesn't align with the people of the way or the way it looks like to follow Jesus then people might look at you and go, there's no way that person's a follower of Jesus either. That's a heavy thing for us to think about. When people looked at Saul, whenever they saw him and saw the change in his life, they're like, that cat follows Jesus. I can trust this now. Can they say the same thing about you? Verse 27 goes on and says this, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly, underlined boldly in your Bibles, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So verse 27, uh, Barnabas enters the story again. This is Barnabas from Acts chapter 4. 
Um, and so he enters the story again, and, and Barnabas vouches for Saul and, and, and how he encountered, uh, uh, how, how he saw that uh, Saul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and how Barnabas had met him and how Saul now was speaking openly about Jesus. And he's like, hey, I'm telling you, you can trust this guy because I've seen him actually look do what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then you get to verse 29, and it tells us that the Hellenists wanted to put Saul to, uh, to death too. And those, there's the Hellenists again. You remember the Hellenists from uh, Acts chapter 7? What did they do? Yes, stone. They were like those dudes up here about to stone poor Josh Holly. And, uh, and so they stoned, they were the people that stoned Stephen. And, and so here they are encountering again. And so he's got to deal with these Hellenists again. And, and, and more than likely, they reacted to Saul in the same way that they did Stephen, angrily, because they were not a follower of Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so angrily, they probably uh, reacted to him in the same way, because the text is telling us all through this, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to kill him. And so verse 30 says, and when the brothers learned this about all this going on we just talked about, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus which is where we get back to in our Galatians text over Galatians chapter 1. So you get back down, and that's, that's when Saul was actually going and doing some of this again. So verse 31 says this, So the church uh, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. So the church enjoyed peace. Many times it could have been because Saul left. He was kind of the focus of, of what was going on there. The church was built up. It grew in the fear of the Lord. It was comforted by the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase along the way, the text tells us. How did they do that? Because as the church continued to increase, I'm sure they met together just like we do here at Refuge. I'm sure the, the word was proclaimed just like we do here at Refuge. We open the scriptures and we proclaim the word every week. I'm sure they shared the gospel of Jesus with other people they encountered just like many of you do as you encounter people along the way. They lived differently just like we call each other to live differently. I'm sure they were, they could, you could tell that they were uh, different people because they trusted in the resurrected Jesus supernaturally this was God's church that he was birthing and God is the one who makes it grow he uses us in the process though he uses you in the process so that other people may come to know Jesus he uses you in the process to invite people into this he uses you in the process to meet your neighbor and invite them to come to your home for dinner and maybe invite them over to come maybe sometime with you to church gathering so that they might hear the gospel proclaimed as well. And so before Saul knew Jesus, he went where he wanted to go. He did what he wanted to do, said what he wanted to say. It was his MO. I'm in charge. I'll do what I want to do. I'll go where I want to go. I'll make happen what I want to make happen. But now, filled with the Spirit, his wanter was changed. He went where the Spirit wanted him to go. He did what the Spirit wanted him to do. He did what the Holy Spirit, he said what the Holy Spirit wanted him to say. And so he was changed drastically. Think about it this way. Um, let's say a player plays, it's fall, right? So it's football season. And so let's just say that a, a player plays for some random team. 
And so let's just say, all right, I'm going to give you an example. Can I have some music? All right, let's just say, let's just say that a player plays for a random team, and this player is uh, Saul in his old life, in darkness, (laughs) blind, Uh, he is dead in his trespasses and sins, walking in the way of disobedience, Uh, uh, all about the things of the devil and all that, okay? That is, that is, this is Saul in his old life. And then, let's say that he suddenly has this experience on the road to Damascus, and suddenly he becomes a Christian. And so he has changed from orange to maroon. He has changed from death to life. You see the dichotomy and the difference that this is for the people? That's the sudden change that we experience. That's that's the sudden change that Saul experienced in life, the drastic change from being dead in his sins, but he got a new identity. But in all seriousness, when we come to Jesus, we are new creations. We become somebody different. We're the same person, have the same name. I'm, I'm living in the same, we're living in the same body, but we are different. And, and honestly, it's not about Tennessee or Mississippi State or anything else. But it's about grace. Okay? It's not about you. Not about me. Not about clever props. Really clever props. Uh, it's not about uh, anything that you do for someone or anything else, but it's about the grace of God toward you in our life. I mean, that's how Saul was radically changed. Saul wanted everybody that he knew, that he encountered, to know this Jesus who he used to persecute but now proclaimed. He wanted people to know this Jesus. And as a result, he saw many people come to know Jesus because the changed Saul began to speak of the changer himself. The only one that can change you and me. The only one that by grace can we be saved. The only one that by grace we come to know and have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And so the question becomes, what about you? Is your life controlled by the Holy Spirit, like Saul suddenly was? Or is it still controlled by you and your flesh? There's there's literally, there's one way or the other, okay? There's not multiple ways, there's not multiple iterations of this. There's, There's one way For this to happen, you're either controlled by your own fleshly desires, which means you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, or you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is what we see all through the scriptures. And the question becomes, why don't we see it today? 
I say it's a reason because we've fallen so soft in our easy believism that we've grown so much, uh, grown up so much in in our good old southern uh, biblical South that we have moved away from New Testament transformation into being okay with saying a rote prayer and just being okay with that. And churches being okay with just counting baptisms from people over and over without, without a testimony that says, I have moved from death to life. I love the way we do baptisms here. I love the way that we make mamas mad because we won't baptize their baby. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with all that. And I know it makes some of you mad, but you'll just have to get glad or move on. I ain't telling you move. I'm just saying get glad. I'd rather you get glad. Because we're going to follow what the scriptures tell us about this. And we're going to proclaim Jesus. And we want to know that Jesus changes people's lives, that he changes your life. And so the question becomes, what about you? Do you respond to the Holy Spirit? What about you? Where do your affections direct you in these days? Are you drawn towards sharing Jesus? Or are you drawn to just the things of this world that distract us from anything to have to do with Jesus. Like Saul, do you want to go where the Spirit wants? Do you want to do what the Spirit wants you to do? Do you want to say what the Spirit wants you to say? God living in us radically changes us. Saul was no different than you or me. He was a man that needed to be changed by an encounter with a living God. Jesus can radically change you today. Each of you. If you're thinking, he can't change me, yes, he can. You don't know the things I've done. I probably don't, but I probably did them. Jesus can radically change you today. Don't miss the importance of this message. When Jesus saves people, Jesus changes people. Okay? When Jesus saves people, Jesus changes people. Born-again Christians live differently. And that same Jesus that changed Saul, that we trust in today for salvation, changes the life we live. Do you live at peace with God? Do you live in awe of the Lord? Are you comforted by the Holy Spirit? Ask the Spirit to reveal you what's true today. Okay? Ask the Spirit to reveal what is true in you and about you today. Remember, Jesus saves. So by grace, we invite you today to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray.